And the truth is, I am not pedigreed. I am not degreed. I am not certified. No one has ever given me permission to do any of the things I have done. And I think it's really important for people to hear that because don't disqualify yourself. Mm-hmm. I think most of the time we, we DQ our own self. It's not someone else even out loud saying that, that we're disqualified. It's the things we assume. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to today's guest. Uh, It's not every day that you get to talk to a bona fide princess, a kindergarten princess. There is royalty in the house today, folks. I'm just saying it. I'm, I'm saying it out loud. Her name is Kim White. And she is the founder and fierce leader of the My Sexy Business team. She's a serial entrepreneur who has spent her life doing things no one gave her permission to do. She found true love at 50 and now travels full-time across the U.S. with her sexy cowboy in an RV. So I'm just going to cut right to the chase without further ado. Here's Kim White. Hey, Princess Kim. Thank you so much for being with me. (laughs) Hello. Thank you. Ah, wow. We're doing it. We're talking. I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Oh my goodness. I always like to say how I met people and I met you, as I often say these days, through Clubhouse through a podcasting community. And at first I, I didn't have much of a sense of you, but um, your generosity of spirit is just something that over time I have come to be completely bowled over by. And I'm just so glad you're here with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your sweet words, but thank you for like inviting me because I feel so honored I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. So your story, I mean, as I've come to know you, I'm just like, wow, there's so many places we could start from. I'm going to kind of let you run with it here and let me know, how did you get to be the current version of Princess Kim White? And you are the kindergarten princess. That's why I'm calling you princess, just for, for anybody listening. Um, were you always Princess Kim? Or is that something that you took on later in life? I have so many questions. <laughs> I love your questions. I think I've always been a kindergarten princess, that specifically. And I, I think for a long time in the middle part of my life, I let other people talk me out of it. Mm. I think I absolutely was that when I was young, like little. And then I looked around the world and realized there weren't people like me. I didn't see other people like me and I wasn't given permission to, to be myself. I needed to be proper or I needed to be 
you know, pretty, or I needed to be something. I always needed to be something I wasn't. Whatever it was, it just needed to be one thing different. And I think I started hiding my true self because of that. I didn't see, you know, I was fluffy. I was, I was not a skinny little thing whenever I got into school. And I think that was one of the things that made me pull back and be more reserved. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually very shy by nature, which is funny because I am so, you know, loud and boisterous now really, but I think that that's part of it too, is, is not having any confidence whatsoever and not understanding I had any value. I think that's a big part of it is, is you cannot call yourself a princess and think you're not valuable. You, you can't. Yeah. What, what does it mean to you to be a princess? Like what was that early version of your princess nature that ended up getting stuff down. What did that look like for young Kim? I think I was, I, I think I've known since I was little that I had this, for lack of a better word, this, this greatness or this light inside of me mm-hmm. that I was born to do some things. And I think it whispered to me from the time I was young. I think it was one of those things that I knew it but it was scary because I didn't understand it. And I had no, no frame of reference. I had no one to ask the kind of questions that might've given me clarity enough to lean into it. So I really just ran away from it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a big part of it. And, and being a princess to me is, is being confident, doing the things that are responsible and being all of you, not just a part of you and not playing small, not toning it down, but really being who you are. Yeah. And that does get knocked out of us as we grow, doesn't it? You know, life knocks you around a little bit as you go and and says, don't get too big for your britches and, and all that stuff. Right. Um, I mean, I know you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you grew up with, with not a lot of money that you grew Mm -hmm. up poor. Definitely, definitely poor. Um, I can remember like worrying and, and kids shouldn't have to worry about this, but you know, just to give my mom proper honor here, my mom was left to, to take care of me on her own. And so that is a big thing. And my mom was ill my entire life. Mm. So she had a broken heart, she was physically hurt in a car accident. Mm. She had lots of, you know, mental issues because of all of it. And she didn't know how to take care of things. So I want to say that so that it's like qualified. It wasn't something that she just chose to not be good to us or, you know, not, not do something different. She, she was really surviving more than living Mm -hmm. my whole life. Mm. And so taking that into account, we didn't know a lot of times where food would come from. You know, my mom would stand in line at a food bank, sometimes sick, like super sick. And she would stand in line at a food bank to go get, you know, food that, that, 
that they give to people who are poor. Like that's just, I don't know how to make it pretty. I don't know how to make that anything, yeah. you know, nice. Um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that there were people that, that contributed and did the things, but that was one of the, one of the really big things when I was young is I thought that's the way we had to live. I thought that was just my, my future. Other people had money other people had food, other people had the things, but that just wasn't for me because I wasn't valuable enough to have, you know, constant groceries. I wasn't valuable enough to have the things that other people had. I, I, I correlated the two that was on me. Like, but as a little kid, you just can't work all these different things out. Right. You make decisions about yourself mm-hmm. and the world uh, as a kid and then carry them on through into adulthood. And so what, did, so, I mean, you, you now are an entrepreneur full on. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you know, no stopping you, you, you coach other entrepreneurs. This, how did you make a transition? Like, and I know it wasn't just a boom, here I am. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> like what happened? What did you do? I think that's a really good point you make about the just boom, it didn't happen. It took me 40 years of doing business to become an overnight success. You know, it as it does. It, yeah. It I have literally been doing business for 40 years this year. Wow. And and you're a, only how old are you? 50. 54. 54. So you've been doing business for 40 years. Okay. I'm doing the math on this. So you started when? <laughs> I was 14 when I had my first business. What'd you do at 14? That's amazing. My goodness. I laughed so hard. I wanted a furniture store and a gift shop. And I did that. I had a, I had a furniture store with a gift shop inside, but here's the problem with that. And I always tell this, I've told this story so many times because it's a perfect testament to making sure you're asking for what you really want and be careful what you ask for, because you might get it. I got the furniture store. I had the gift shop. It was amazing. I had people coming in, like I was doing all the things and I would look out the window and out that window is the car that I wanted to drive up and down the road because I was a teenager. I didn't want to be inside that that furniture store. I didn't realize when I was asking for that, I think I saw it as a way out. I think I saw it as if you own a business, that's a way out of what I had been experiencing during my childhood. How does a 14 year old have a a furniture business? How did, how, sorry, but I, I have to ask, how does that happen? You know, I've been full throttle my whole life. I don't, I don't know how to explain that, except I am what a lot of people would call extra or like, you know, all the bad words. How did you get a space? Like, did you pay? (laughs) Did you have a contract? Did you pay rent? Like, how did you do that at 14? I went and made a deal with um, a woman who had an empty building and she was, she wasn't going to do anything with it. And it was just sitting there vacant and rotting away basically. And so I just asked if I could rent it, if I could rent it and clean it up, would she consider it? And at first I'm sure she laughed at me because I was 
you know, I was, I was just She's a little like, girl. Oh, look at this cute little teenager. Look at this cute little 14 year old. Oh my she really, she really thinks she's going to do something. I'm sure that's probably what she thought, but she did it. She took a chance. She was, a, she was an elderly woman who I believe, like, I can't confirm this because obviously she's not here, but I, I believe she saw something in me that I didn't see because I was tenacious and she, she rented me that that space and I promptly went to filling it up. I, and it's so funny to look back at just the things that I did almost intuitively. I understood buying and selling that's I did understand that I didn't understand the business parts. I didn't understand the things that go along with being a grown up. Like I didn't understand that stuff, but I did understand that if I bought something for so much money and I sold it for this much more money, that the difference was what I got to keep. Like mm-hmm. I, I understood that. Yeah. And, and so I did it over and over. Like that's really what I did until I had a store full of furniture and gifts and all kinds of things. Um, that, and, and I still giggle because I, I think had I kept that, I can't imagine but I wanted out. I wanted out to drive up and down the road in, in a car. Like I didn't want to sit in the store and, and do the things I wanted to be out running the streets. And so, wow. How long did you stick with the the store? And then like, so I know at some point, I mean, you, you started a company from your kitchen table. There's so much, there's so much. <laughs> so, okay. How old were you when you got rid of the store? Did you sell it? Did you start a new well, business? I know you'll giggle when you hear that, but uh, that happened when I was 16 and got the car. I, I I was probably close to 17 by the time I like actually sold out, you know, and, and actually yeah. went all out of it. But the car was the, the differentiator. The uh-huh. car was the thing. I love cars uh-huh. and I had a beautiful car. That was, and I'm going to confess I am 54, but I really like fast cars. That's just who I am. And I've always liked fast cars. I had a Firebird and yeah, yeah, it was sitting out the window calling my name to come and go fast down the road and I'm sitting inside. That's all I wanted to do. So that actually that storyline repeats as a pattern through my life because I didn't understand how to not repeat that process. I I did not understand that, you know, until I got a a lot older, I didn't understand, but that, that was the beginning of the businesses I actually got paid for. I will tell you, I started business in kindergarten though. Kindergarten was where I would, my favorite day of the week was there was a playhouse that, you know, our amazing kindergarten teacher had set up this whole area. And when we, it was our turn, our day to get to go there. That was my favorite day to go to school. I would go and I would grab a baby doll and I'd put it on my hip. I would go to the little kitchen. I would start cooking and I would have the cash register next to me so I could sell all the other kindergartners groceries from the little cabinet. <laughs> like that was what I did then. And I, I laughed because it was like almost prophetic. That's what I have done my whole life is loved on my babies. 
I love to cook and I'm always selling like that. That was just always the thing. Wow. 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 And you had you. So, so speaking of your babies, I mean, you had kids young, right? I did. I did not, not too young, but yes. Yeah. 20 and like when I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I are so close to the same age and I, you know, I have a 14 and 18 year old. I started late, you know, and you, I could very easily have started it when you did. And it's so interesting, the difference that that makes in, in life. My youngest is actually 31, about to be 32. Right. That's my youngest baby. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) amazing that must be mind-blowing I'm still wrapping my head around 18 I gotta tell you I'm having a little trouble with it (laughs) so I'm gonna let you kind of fast forward us to to where you really got to know yourself the way you do now because there were there were bumps in the road for you in in some major ways yes yeah There were major bumps, but I think all of the things that have happened in my life have brought me to today. I I can't look back and say, you know, I regret everything. There's lots of things I would do over differently, obviously, Mm -hmm. but as far as regret, I can't, I can't do that and look forward. So I feel like all of those things really made me understand that you don't have to be qualified. You don't have to have permission. You don't have to have the things that we've told ourselves we have to have to do the things we really want to do. I love doing business. Love it. Like to my middle, I love being an entrepreneur and it's because I solve problems. It's about the, the pain point someone else has that I can solve a problem for. So the underlying thing is I get to be a hero and train other people to be heroes. To me, that's a sexy proposition. So I could do that and I do that every single day. But doing that takes confidence. Doing that takes street cred, like (laughs) street credentials. And the truth is I am not pedigreed. I am not degreed. I am not certified. No one has ever given me permission to do any of the things I have done. And I think it's really important for people to hear that because don't disqualify yourself. Mm. I think most of the time we, we DQ our own self. It's not someone else even out loud saying that, that we're disqualified. It's the things we assume Right. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, yep. I live it. I've done it. I, you know, (laughs) it's the reason it took me two years to start a podcast for sure. Um, so, I mean, you and I were talking a little bit before I, I knew you had started of all things, an oil and gas company from your kitchen table. And I was curious about the beginning of that. And, and I know that that, you know, you're not still doing it. And so I kind of am curious, like, what brought you into it? You mentioned it a little bit to me and what got you out of it to what you're doing now? Well, I have this problem. I'm just going to tell you. And that is that I don't mind my, I don't mind my own business very well. I saw some people being taken advantage of and I couldn't not do something about it. 
I think that there's some things that we can't do anything about and we just have to, we have to just go on. But if you have the ability to do something about someone's pain or something that's going on, I think as humans, we are responsible for caring for each other. And for me, it was that kind of a drive. That's really what brought me into that industry. That's really what brought me into doing the things that I was doing. Um, learned a lot of hard lessons. I will tell you that. Learned a lot of hard lessons during that process. Give, give me, for example, like how were people being taken advantage of? And how did you see yourself? Like, how did you see yourself as being able to step in and affect change for them? I have to be careful how I answer. I'm going to, I'm going to put that out there. I have to be careful because, um, when I don't want to get myself into trouble, that's the first thing. But the other thing is, is I don't want to harm anybody in, in what I'm saying. Okay. Um, there was a group of people taking advantage of elderly, elderly couples that I knew they Mm. were, basically conning them into signing legal documents that were taking away their water rights for their like farms and ranches. Mm. They were, um, they were doing things that to me, it was what I call simple math. This is wrong. And somebody's got to do something. No one was willing to do because it was, it was a big thing that I went through to get to the place I could help them. It wasn't like I just showed up one day and said, okay, now I can help you. It was a process that I had to learn. You know, I had to learn things. I had to learn how to help them, but there was no one else around. I didn't, I couldn't find anyone. I tried to actually find them help first Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find any help. So I had to become that help. And that was a, that was a, you know, so it started as a, being about water rights. It, it started about that. And, and just the fact that they were being taken advantage of because, and, and this happens in a lot of industries, we get this certain language. We, we use what I call legal ease, you know, that instead of like Chinese or, you know, Japanese or whatever the ease yeah. is, it's legal ease. And yeah. we talk above someone's head. So they don't know what, what they're signing because you tell them it means this, but really in the document, it means something else. And the documents, what matters if they sign those documents, they are giving their, their rights away. Hmm. So I just have such a hard time with that. Um, and they had come to me. That's the other thing they had come to me asking for my help. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing that pulled on me is, and I don't know what they saw in me to make them think I would even know anything about that because I really didn't. I had never been in the oil and gas industry whatsoever. I didn't even, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I don't even think I knew anybody in the oil and gas industry when That's that first amazing. happened. How, so what did the oil and gas industry have to do about the water rights? I'm So forgive my complete ignorance. Well, it was... It was coming from the, the fact that they wanted to take their water and use it for their drilling. Like they oh, weren't, gotcha. and, okay. and here's the thing. I am not, I am not anti oil and gas. I am not like, I'm not any of that. What these people were going through is what I'm against. Mm-hmm. It, it was the conning of them that I was against. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not against the industry. I'm not against, but I am against anyone taking advantage of someone else when, you know, why, why do you have to take care, take advantage of someone to do business? You don't, right. you, you just don't. don't, you just don't, you just don't. The, yeah. Yeah. So mm. that was my, that was my initiation by fire almost into How did it become a business. Like, what did you end up doing? What was you, what was the offer that you did? Just out of curiosity, is it okay to talk about or? I, I can't, well, there's, that is probably one of the biggest industries for non-disclosures. I just oh. want to say that. Okay. So I have, I have tons of that in place that I have to be very, that's why I'm tiptoeing. It's gotcha. not that I don't want to tell you. I just don't want to get into trouble. Yeah. Um, once they got informed and empowered, they started telling other people, and this was the problem. I mean, it was a good problem, but it was still a problem. They wanted to have me over for dinner and have the other couples they knew come and talk to me because they were all impacted as well. So what turned into one couple that really initiated it turned into seven couples at dinner turned into 15 couples, you know, in a, in a bigger space turned into 35 couples at a church, you know, banquet hall, because these people were, were going through the same kind of things. Wow. Gotcha. So you kind of fell into it and then discovered the need and then were able to, wow, 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 wow. But you don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't. So gosh, wow. What, <laughs> what pulled you away from that? What, what was like the, the pull or the pain that had you say, okay, this isn't for me anymore. And now I want to go do this other thing. So if you'll go back with me to the furniture store in the beginning, the mm -hmm. pattern for me was doing things that I thought I really wanted to do, but weren't quite right for me. Yeah. I wanted to run up and down the streets in my car. That's what I wanted to do. Once mm -hmm. I had a car, the, the pattern was I was sitting, um, I went from the kitchen table, you know, doing things on my kitchen table to actually owning a, a office building. And I was sitting in the boardroom, looking out the window, watching the sunrise and, and realized I am still here in this building. I've been here night and day. I've been doing the things I can't travel because mm -hmm. I set my business up in a way that I now call an ugly business. My business owned me. It, it was 100% you know, owning me, I did not own it because I didn't have the control of when I was there and wasn't, I mm -hmm. set it up in a way that yes, it was sexy on the outside, but the, the thing it was going to do was take my life. It was not allowing me the freedom to travel or to do the things I wanted to do. So being typical kindergarten princess, I jumped off that cliff and put a note on the door, contacted all of our clients, did all the things and said, I'm sorry, but I'm out. I, I can't do this. Um, I connected all of, you know, all of our clients with, with people to take care of them. I didn't just abandon them, but I didn't want that life. I did not want to be, I thought I did. Like it was very glamorous looking on the outside. And I think a lot of my motivation over different parts of these pivots 
were based on the things I really didn't know, but I, but I assumed um, coming from nothing, it's really important not to have nothing. Mm. And so I think owning an office building was like at the time, the biggest pinnacle I could ever achieve because now I'm not, I'm not that I am not poor. I am Mm. not the, and I'm going to tell you, it was absolutely vanity because that's not the measure. That's not the measure of success. It did look good. It, it was good, but it was not good for me. And there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, so often it's about how, how we look to others and, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, it's got to give you some sense of security owning a building, right? Um, And the security, when I was younger, I used to say, you know, security is just, the whole idea of safety is just a false idea. You're never safe in reality. Like anything could happen at any moment. And that that might sound awful, but it's freeing as well because you may as well take chances, not needing to be safe frees you to say, well, not safe anyway. Why not? Why not do that scary thing? I love that philosophy because the truth is we're not like, there's all kinds of things. The pandemic's a good example. Yeah. Look at how much everything has changed just from that. No one was really prepared for that, but we survived like that, whatever the changes in your life, if you can still hear my voice, you've survived it. You know, maybe messy, maybe ugly, maybe there's parts that you wish were different, but you've survived it. You and I have a shared term. I'm going to say, cause you just said it may be messy. Um, I, I call it a beautiful mess. Oh my goodness. Do you know what my mantra is in most things is messy is beautiful. Yes. I saw that. <laughs> I saw something and I, I was like, oh my gosh, can I, you know, a little, little mind meld on that part. And it's one of the things that I think about when, as I'm, as I've been, you know, I started photography late. I started in my forties and doing a lot of family photography noticed how stressful family photos are for moms and dads. And and I would just feel like such, ah, I would feel the compassion for them when their kids are having a meltdown and they're, they're trying to manage, you know, smile, smile, Mm -hmm. look not, you know, and the, and the whole idea is to have this picture that they think they want that shows them as the perfect family. I call it Pinterest. Perfect these photos that they've seen of other people that are, that are all that. And I'm thinking, I just want to catch your beautiful mess. I want to catch the the things that are silly and unique and maybe not the prettiest moment, but the moment that, that shows you guys for who you are, you know, and that's what I call a beautiful mess. You know, we are related more than, you know, because I, like quite a few years ago, I was on tour because I, I do speaking engagements and I was doing all these speaking engagements. They, they fix my hair, they put my makeup on, they, they dress me cute, like all the things. Mm-hmm. 
And on Mondays, by the time Monday came, because the, the usual drill was, you know, Thursday night, you're with the VIPs Friday. You're with the, you know, meet and greet Saturday. You're speaking Sunday. You're with the VIPs. So by the time Monday came, I wanted no makeup or no hair, you know, hairspray, no cute club. I want nothing to do with any of that. So I, I out of rebellion, really, if you want to be truthful, <laughs> I, I started doing what I called messy Mondays and I hashtag that because I wanted people to know that while yes, I can clean up and yes, I look great on a picture that somebody has airbrushed or yes, I, but I want you to see the other side, because if you run into me in public, I want you to know it's me. I don't want you to go, Oh no, that can't be you. You know, I don't like that. I, I think the behind the scenes is where the sexy stuff really is. The messy to me is sexy. And so I started doing that with my ball cap or, you know, and no makeup. So there's this drastic difference between the outside that we put out there, but I refuse to let anyone like me who grew up only seeing the outside pictures, the mm -hmm. Pinterest perfect, as you called it, I refuse to let anyone on my watch think that that's how I live my life every day. I do have on red lipstick today. I love my red lipstick, but I can promise you, I don't wear red lipstick daily. I don't, you know, I don't have my hair fixed daily. You've seen me, you know, plenty of times in a ball cap. I, I think that that's also me. That's mm -hmm. also part of being a princess and part of being the real part of me. Did, have you always owned that? Or is that something that has come to you as you've gotten older and more confident? in who you are? Um, the princess part or the messy part? The messy part, the part where you're like, just, just letting yourself be authentic. I think it's really an older thing. Like it, it probably happened for me in my forties, mm -hmm. but it just became more of an obsession. I think in the last, probably even the last 10 years in particular, I, I don't want to lead anyone astray. I don't want to handicap any other little girls in particular out there who think that seeing me in my red dress and, and seeing me on a stage and seeing me in those places is not for them too. And so if I give them the illusion that you're not pretty enough or you, you, you know, you don't have this right, or you don't have that credential or whatever, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to all of those that are coming behind me. Yeah. I want to make sure that they understand that they can do whatever I'm doing, because let me tell you, there's no one who, who has given me permission. No, I can remember, this is just, this is how I am. When I figured that out, I didn't wait for someone in the beginning to invite me to a stage. I created my own. I, I didn't wait for someone to, you know, now I'm invited all over the world. But when I started, I Let's didn't go back to that, that, Kim. Let's go back to that. <laughs> so, so did that happen after you walked away from, from the oil and gas? So you, you created your own stage. Mm -hmm. How did that start? Um, I, well, and you're going to laugh that it was from a selfish place. I was being extremely selfish because I did not like being in front of people. I am not, I am not by birth 
a performer or an entertainer. Like I know that there are people that are comfortable in front of people. I was never one of those. So one day, and and this is like a true story and it's hard. And if I cry, I'm sorry. Like I will try not to, but one day I was doing um, a business luncheon that I was hosting with for my church, for our, for our businesses in town, the business owners. And I was supposed to share something. My pastor had asked me to share something because I did know things that, that would help the people that were in our town do better business and more business. I got up in front of them and I held my breath. I talked as fast as I could possibly talk. I was sweating. I was rocking back and forth. I looked like so silly. Been there. Yep. I was praying I didn't throw up like in front of them. I mean, all the things. And all I could think about was getting done. I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking about me. Mm. I wanted to share it with them. But when I got up there, I panicked from all the judgment that I had in my own head. And this is where it gets emotional for me is that judgment wasn't from them. It was from some craziness that I had allowed into my life over the years to take away my princessness, my greatness, my, my light inside of me. And my pastor, who was the only one brave enough to tell me the truth that day, all the business owners to this day, I love them, but they all loved on me and said, oh, you did such a great job. I knew I didn't. I knew I did not even articulate what I was trying to, to help them with. And they all walked away loving me. You know, I, I was, I was loved and you know, the things, Mm -hmm. but my pastor said something to me that changed my world. And he said, it's like you have a treasure chest inside and you will not share it. You refuse to share the treasure that's in there. I was devastated. Mm. He was exactly right. I was so grateful. He told me the truth, but I was devastated. Mm. My whole life, I just wanted to help people. And here I was choosing to hide, choosing to not be who I could be because I was that on the inside, but I was never going to be out loud with it, you know, and it really rocked my world. So I have a funny article in our magazine that I talk about. He, he banished me. That's what I called it. I was a banished princess. (laughs) He told me I needed to go to Toastmasters, which is a huge organization for people who need to learn how to do public speaking and be good leaders. And so I went the very next, like the very next time they had a meeting, I was in, I was there. That changed my world because I needed to change my world. So the day that I finally got up and gave my first official, and I'm going to put that in air quotes, official, you know, speech, I was terrible. I'm going to just tell you the truth. I was terrible. I was holding my breath. I was standing on one leg. This is like true story, standing on one leg and doing this weird thing with my hands that I don't even know what it was. Like, I don't know what in the world I did that for. I I was terrible, but I was determined not to be selfish anymore. 
And so I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I kept doing it. I've now like the tally is well over 3000 different stages I have been on where I've told different parts of my story. I have helped businesses. I've done corporate. I've done all kinds of different things. But then you would not have convinced me that that my life today would be that because I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. But that's one of the biggest pivots for me is realizing that I had to choose the people who were waiting for me to show up instead of choosing to worry about the people who wouldn't hear me anyway. They wouldn't listen anyway. If you judge me because I'm not a skinny little thing or I'm not a 20-year-old anymore or you judge me because I'm not pretty enough and I'm not smart enough and all the enoughs, if you judge me for all those things, I'm not your flavor because let me tell you, I'm not judging you. I want to help you. So the people that needed my help were not doing the judging. They, They just weren't. Yeah. And to be able to figure that out about yourself is so huge. Oh my goodness. I've been there so many times trying to, I I am a performer and, um, I, I have training as far as being able to get up and, and, you know, act and I'm very, I'm comfortable with the script and rehearsals and, uh, actors around me and a set and costumes and all the things that go with theater but to get up and speak from my heart. Wow. Just it's that that, everything that you were describing that you were feeling and the talking fast and the, the weird physical things. (laughs) It's like that happens. It's real. And it's because there there's a needing to open up and show, Hey, this is me. And this is what I care about. Mm -hmm. And that's next level. Being vulnerable, like the definition of being vulnerable is the, the willingness to expose yourself to harm or danger. So when we celebrate someone for being vulnerable, that's actually what we're celebrating them for is the willingness to expose their self to that. I have found that there's going to be a certain amount of people who are going to be the haters you know, and I put that in air quotes to the, the haters out there. I think that they don't know what to do with us. Yeah. And when you walk into a room and you're being your own vulnerable self, you're being authentic, you're being raw and you're being real. It gives permission to everyone in the room to also do the same. But with that permission comes that fear. And so that small percentage of people who will talk about you, who will judge you, who will say things they shouldn't say, who, you know, who just do those things because it, it, it is that don't just recognize it's not personal. It's not a personal thing against you, even though it feels that way. I can, I can tell you some stories about things I've, you know, been told that were devastating at the time, but now I look at them and I think they were not my kryptonite. They were actually fuel fuel to make me understand how much more important it was to learn to serve. Yeah. I'm just, I keep thinking about your hope to hope conference Mm -hmm. with this and speaking of serving and speaking. Um, 
how many years has it been that you've been doing that conference now? I think we just did the 10th year, maybe. We have done in the beginning, we did more. Tell me about that. Tell, Uh, Tell me a little bit about that because it's such a, it's such an amazing thing and it goes beyond your, your mission with helping other people with their businesses. And, and it, it's like, a hugely expansive mission that you have with that conference. And I don't want that to go. I don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> what that is. I think it goes back to, again, to being a little girl and not knowing that there were other possibilities, not knowing there are other things. I didn't have the hope. I didn't see the hope in front of me. I think that that's really, Um, it's in honor of my son who passed away. Like the conference was in honor of him. But if you really go back to the root of it, I think it goes back to the, I needed hope and I didn't know where to find it. So I believe we all need hope during our lifetimes. And I think when we get hope for something and we get past that, whatever it is, that we come to another thing, we need hope again. And it's like we spend our life yeah, going from hope right. to hope. It, it's not like you, it's not like you get to a place and everything's fixed. Like you may have a breakthrough, right? And mm-hmm. then, and then it comes to, you, you hit another wall and then it's like, you need, you need that hope again, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I know that you've talked about like in, in, in all kinds of things, you've talked about, you know, relationships that have been hard for you, you know, things that abusive relationships and and then your son dying. And I mean, I just, just kills me to even think about it. Um, and you have taken all of this background and, and, um, whatever unworthiness was, was there for you and you have flipped it. And it sounds to me like you are, it's a constant, like you, do you get up every morning and it's all good? Like you figured out the judo to, to, to handle this all the time, or is this an up and down thing for you? It's always up and down. I think it's one of those things that it's, um, yes, I do wake up excited almost every single day, but it's because I get to serve in such a way that really fuels my fire. I, I have the life now that I think I spent 40 years trying to create, you know, I spent all those years trying to figure things out. And I think I have that today and that makes me excited, but it does come from those places of hard. I have been, I actually was homeless with, with my babies when they were young. I, I have gone through all kinds of abuse. I've gone through, you know, all kinds of things Um, And the worst of those is my son passing away. He, you know, when he passed away, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to be able to survive it. I was, yeah, he was 13, right? He was, he was. And anyone who has lost a child, you know, or anyone who even thinks about that can imagine I, I had to relearn how to navigate life because my life has never been the same since I just passed the 20 year mark of him being gone. And I can't tell you if I'm going to be melty later today. You know, I, I can't tell you that I can tell you, I've definitely learned how to do a lot of things to, to take care of myself in a different way. But as far as, you know, me being, just 
happy 100% of the time and me being, you know, not sad about things that that's no human The the humanness is we have those emotions and the humanness. I, I am 100% amazing at being a human and messy. Like that's what I'm amazing at. So don't like, don't be deceived in that. I am, you know, Pinterest perfect, or I'm all those things. I'm a hundred percent messy, a hundred percent of the time. And it's beautiful. That's what's amazing. You have taken it and, and made it amazing. Like to, so with the hope to hope conference, I mean, 10 years, what, what was the, that first year you actually, I think I remember the story you had challenged somebody else. Right. And they, they had, you, you had, you were coaching somebody, you were like, you need to do a conference. They were like, I can't. And you said, I'm going to prove to you that this is something that can be done. And you created this. So, but your, 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 why was this idea of hope of bringing hope and spreading hope? Yes. Yes, because if we don't have hope, like it doesn't really matter all the other things. If we don't have hope that we're going to get through a situation, if we don't, we do really dumb things. You know, without hope, you will make permanent decisions in temporary situations. Mm. I've done it. Like I, I can speak from my own, you know, messes. And I don't mean messy I mean, messes, like I've created messes in my life from bad decisions based on not understanding that, not having hope about things going to change. I've created mess from that. So I feel like when you have hope, you have a different outlook. You have a different way of seeing things. You have a different way of understanding things and you make different choices, and that's what I, I laugh all the time and talk about, you know, I'm a hope dealer. I love I, that term. <laughs> the first time I heard you say that, I was like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And, uh, you know, I think it was during the conference, you, you and Melissa, um, which Melissa, oh gosh. Yes. yes. And you guys were talking about hope dealers. And I was like, yeah, this is a whole room in this conference full of hope dealers. These are people who are, you know, and it's not, I don't think any of us are coming from a place of, oh, we have it all figured out. It's, it's a, it's for ourselves Mm -hmm. to, you know, it, it keeps, I think hope is you being a hope dealer is what keeps you going and feeds you and feeds other people. I, I think you bring up a really good point though about like the both of that, the duality of that. While I'm reaching ahead, trying to help someone else, I'm, or while I'm reaching back, I should say, while I'm reaching back to help someone else, I'm also being pulled forward by someone else because on Hope to Hope, people share their stories. If you're not willing to be vulnerable, you're not a guest. That is one of the things that, you know, I have had a, I have had a few guests over the years who panicked and didn't tell their whole story because, you know, it it is hard. It is hard to be that vulnerable knowing that you're live in front of who knows how many people. Um, But at the same time, that's one of the requirements. You don't want to hang out with me much. I can tell you if you don't want to get 
um, real feedback, if you don't want to get real with whatever it is and being on hope to hope for me is those are some of the bravest people in the entire world. They are coming on. A lot of them are not, um, we don't look for celebrities. We don't look for people who are out there already doing it. I look for people who aren't. I look for those that are doing things, going through things, surviving things and coming out the other side and quietly in what seems like an ordinary life doing extraordinary things. I think that that's the part that gives people hope. It's not the, and and not that celebrities can't, like, I don't want to say that either, mm-hmm. but, but when you find out that I'm 54 and I call myself a princess right up front and, <laughs> you know, and, and you see me and I'm not tiny, I'm not 20. I'm not the, you know, I'm not the, the things that are on the covers of magazines, except that I am on the cover of magazines. I was going to say <laughs> you made your own magazine and you're on the cover. And that is a beautiful, that's so empowering. You know, I mean, you could look at that as, you know, as, as a vanity project, but it is not where your heart is and it's not where you come from. And when I look at the content of those magazines and I've been pouring over um, them reading, you're highlighting other people and, and the whole purpose of your magazine is uplifting, dealing hope, mm-hmm. you know, br- bringing other people into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what Kim White does. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And that's probably one of the best, um, most precious words to me is what you just said. Because that I feel like is what I was born to do is to blaze a trail and show other people things are possible. I struggled with putting myself on the cover of the magazine because that's, it's definitely not for me, not about vanity being on there. Right. Knowing you, I know that, like, I know that that is, that's an act of bravery is what that is. That is not a putting yourself out there to say how great I am. It's I'm going to do this because this is the thing that's scary. This is the thing that's vulnerable and I'm going to do it anyway. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. (laughs) And, you know, when I started the magazine, I kind of have this pattern of being a hot mess about this too, of, you know, getting an idea and not having any idea what, how to do it, but I'm going to do it. When I started the magazine, the closest I had ever been to producing or publishing a magazine was standing at the checkout line in the grocery store and looking over the the magazines on the rack. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any idea what I was doing and I did it anyway. That that's like the thing that, that I want other people to hear is no one gave me permission to create a magazine. No one gave me permission to do a podcast. No one gave me permission to write 15 books. No one gave me permission to speak on 3000 stages. Like I got invitations to do that, but no one gave me permission. And, and I think that everyone who's listening, that is, you know, a little, a little beginner or a little kid all the way up to someone who's a hundred years old, 
needs to hear that same thing. They don't need permission to be their own amazing self. They, they need to have that inside of them that they are valuable just like they are. And the decisions we make are not who we are. They make up the things that happen in our life, but that is not who we are. Who I am was not represented in some seasons of my life very well, but I represent myself very well now. Because I am all who I am. And if, if I'm too much for somebody, I can love them from a distance and I give them permission to love me from a distance. If you don't like me, you don't even have to be around me. Like that's, that's the most awesome freeing part is everyone around me. I, I try to give permission. If, if you need someone to give you permission, I'm giving you permission to be all you are. I'm, I'm giving you permission to be who you are, how you are, and love it. Like, don't just be that and think, oh man, I'm like this. Love who you are. Mm, that's it. That is the best place to wrap up. I can't add to that. I can't add. Thank you that. so much for this. Thank you so much. Um, how can people find you, Kim? Where can they go get more Princess Kim? I think really the best thing is, is our website. It has like all the different things. It has our podcast and all the magazine stuff and everything. It's mysexybusiness.com. And yes, that is really the name of our business. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Kim, thank you ever, ever so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I'm so glad I had a chance to have Kim here. She constantly inspires me the more I get to know her. So here I am giving you permission to be royalty if you want to, to be a hope dealer if that calls to you, to do anything you want to do that nobody's given you permission to do before. And with that said, I'm going to call it a day. Thank you so much for being with me. If you have a chance, maybe leave a review or a rating for me. That would be awesome. Helps other people find the podcast and uh, grow the audience. So I really appreciate that. I just love you guys. So I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon. <laughs>